starting my career in game development, being in the in the actual internal development team, and then transitioning into that more publishing external. I think it gives a really well-rounded, holistic, you know, perspective on how a game is made from beginning all the way to getting it into players' hands. Hi, I am Sophie Vaux, and this is the Rise and Play podcast. In the show, I sit down with influential thought leaders of the gaming industry to deconstruct how they create the best team and company cultures in order to create the best games. Every episode brings actionable insight to improve your leadership, self-awareness, and emotional management skills. Because becoming a better leader starts with becoming a better human. So, are you ready to unlock your full potential in life and business? Let's begin! Raise up your game development with a new podcast sponsor, Game Refinery. Having been the user myself, what I like about Game Refinery's tool is that it helps game developers take a more data-driven approach to adding features, metas, and live events to their mobile games at any stage of development, from new game development to growing the current portfolio of games. And what makes Game Refinery differ from a traditional market research tool is that its team of game analysts play and deconstruct the best-in-class mobile games on an ongoing basis across 50 genres, hundreds of features, and thousands of live events. The data insights provided are actionable because they are based on data collected by real humans and not bots. And you will save a lot of time browsing through a database of almost 100,000 screenshot implementation that you can collect and share with your teammates. So want to learn more about how game developers like Zynga, Funplus, Rovio, Garena, and King use Game Refinery to build better games with leaner teams? Go to info.gamerefinery.com slash riseandplay to sign up for free access or to request a demo. Or just check out the link in the podcast episode notes. So today, I feel super excited and honored to be sitting with Lian Lumb. Lian started making games over 18 years ago in the UK, working on titles such as Scrabble, Risk, and Magic the Gathering. And after working for a third-party publishing division in Japan for a couple of years, she returned to the UK and joined Electronic Arts as a senior producer. It was here that Lian married her love for cars and games by heading up multiple Need for Speed titles, including leading the transition to a community-run live service. She then went on to create and head up Riot Forge, the external publishing division of Riot Games, making a variety of League of Legends story games. And now, Leanne is currently at Netflix heading up external games and helping to change the way we play games through Netflix. And in addition, because there's more to it, Leanne is a passionate ambassador for women in games and focuses on encouraging women to join the industry and creating diversity in teams through mentorship, panels and events. So hi, Leanne. Super happy to have you today. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to chat to you today. I'd like to start my conversation with you, you know, whether it's personal, professional, what is the exciting thing that is happening in your life these days? I actually think it's more of a personal thing. I've actually just started being able to run again. So I was always oh. a runner in my life, like at school, just like one of the ways that I used to meditate, essentially. It's like, you know, not only exercise, but good for the brain. But in 2017, I had double hip surgery. And so I haven't been able to get back to running mm. because of that. And so this year I've started to do, you know, another 5K program and on the Peloton, which I love. <laughs> and wow. so I'm excited to, you know, see the progress there and sort of get back to something that I love quite a lot. 
I could not imagine how we would be without running. I love to run. I mean, mm. it's it's kind of a nice flow activity. And, you know, with busy lives, it is a moment that you don't think of anything else but run, you know, so. Yeah, um, that's what I love about it. You know, you can just kind of switch your brain off for a little bit mm. and just focus on, on the running, which, and certainly, you know, running outside as well in California because of the weather, it's oh. great, and the nature and everything. So that's nice too. So let's get uh, directly in what you're doing today. Um, so you joined recently Netflix and it's been a, a bit in the headlines, you know, with acquisitions and the exciting catalog of games that are coming uh, to the portfolio in the coming season, winter, a lot of people watching Netflix probably playing games. <laughs> so I wanted to understand more as well the background when you joined and what was the main mission why you joined because you were probably in the early discussions when Netflix probably was planning to get into games. So if you could share more a bit of the background, how it went for you and you had before the big experience in uh, external publishing and how was that aligned with the mission you know, of Netflix when you uh, started to join them? Yeah, so I joined Netflix almost a year ago now, and we're still very early in our, you know, gaming journey. But I was super excited to join Netflix. I think I like building things. And so being, you know, there at the beginning when Netflix is starting to get into video games, I think was very exciting for me. And bringing my experience, you know, from previous companies in development and in publishing and thinking about, you know, how we can do that in the sort of subscription model world. So a lot of really exciting opportunities that kind of got me feeling, you know, passionate about doing something different and motivated in working in a different space, just doing something new, you know, I think the gaming industry is always changing and I love to be kind of involved in that evolution and I think subscription gaming generally is is kind of becoming more prevalent now and it's interesting to see kind of how the games industry has evolved over the last handful of years and being part of that is is very exciting. Yeah I can I can relate to that I've been as well in games for a while and seeing not as many transformation as you did, but uh, some. And uh, there's a consolidation that is happening for sure. Before you joined Netflix, what did you think about subscription model, for example? And wh what was the vision you had before you joined Netflix and yeah, thinking about the future role? Yeah, I mean, I think, as I mentioned, sort of the gaming industry has changed quite a lot. So I think there's a lot of opportunity to disrupt. You know, throughout my career, I've worked on multiple different business models from free to play to premium to kind of like free trials and, you know, upsells and then, you know, different type of free to play with League of Legends, uh, different to the free to play mobile market. Then there's kind of ads and all of those stuff. So I think there's a, there's a lot of different elements that you can play with. And I think we've sort of seen over time which elements players resonate with and which ones perhaps they don't so much. And so you kind of touched on that, like the free to play mobile market, I think, has become more challenging to be competitive in because, you know, you do have to spend a lot of money on user acquisition mm -hmm. and kind of positioning your game in the right way. So I think a subscription model, you know, it allows developers to get their game out into players' hands. And I think that's really beneficial, like providing developers and studios with multiple different like partnership types and business models is always advantageous. And then we can kind of learn and experiment in the, in the industry and sort of see what works and what doesn't. And so as your role as a head of external games, can you elaborate who are, you know, the main partners or future partners you work with, the main mission of your role? Do you have a team even to help you with that mission? 
Yeah, so external games, the best way to think about that is we partner with any external developer that we work with. So that could be under multiple different partnership types, whether that's a third party publishing deal or a licensed product. So essentially anything that we do for our portfolio that comes from an external development studio that comes under the team that I work with. You know, when I joined, we were small, smaller and now we're much bigger. Uh-huh. <laughs> and part of my role from a business perspective is to make sure that, you know, we have the right people on the team to do, you know, the job that we're looking to and accomplish the goals that we want to accomplish and support the developers that we're working with. So yeah, part of my role is to to build up that team and kind of think about what the team composition needs to look like. And to be honest, that's been kind of my role throughout my career, like in production, I would say like exec producer's Mm -hmm. role is to kind of think about the composition and the dynamics of the team and make sure that everything is sort of set up for for success, right, based on the goals you're trying to accomplish with the game. So I think that's definitely like one skill set of production expert. What would you say are the more important skills you need to have to be a good partner when you work with external development compared to internal development? Yeah, I think it's, you know, primarily about the creative ownership and the vision ownership. You know, when you're working as a publisher, so more on the external development side, I think it's really important to be the team that amplifies and guides the creative direction, but doesn't determine the creative direction. Mm. So, you know, when you have an internal development team, it's generally that internal team with the creative director, the exact producer, the game director, you know, however that team is structured, they will determine the creative vision, they will determine the goals for the game, you know, what the game is meant to be. And that all comes from that internal team. When you're working with a externally as a publisher, the vision, the creative direction, the goals, that all comes from the development studios that you're working with. So they are the internal team at that point. And then our job as the publisher or the external team is to just really make sure they have everything they need, right? And if they say these are the goals for our games, then we help and support and we provide them, you know, resources or guidance or feedback that can, you know, help make sure the game is on the right track and we're ultimately making the best game possible together. Uh, compared to your roles in the past, how is it different now, like this new challenge for you and what were the parts that are helpful from your past experience and the ones that are new with this role? Yeah, I think one thing that I personally really love is when people working in like the publishing division or the like external division in any company have development experience. I think it's really important that, you know, when you're working with partners, like I did at Riot, for example, it's like understanding how game development works is really important. Mm -hmm. So I value a lot the experience that I've had, you know, making games internally with like big AAA indie projects. So starting my career in game development, you know, being in the in the actual internal development team, and then transitioning kind of into that more publishing external, you know, I did a little bit of it in Japan. And then obviously, again, at Riot, I think it gives a really well rounded holistic, you know, perspective on 
how a game is made from beginning all the way to you know getting it into players hands and then you know what is part of like publishing and marketing and all of those aspects that come sort of as part of the holistic game development so I also look for that you know when I'm I'm building my teams like when I was building Riot Forge and thinking about okay making sure that we support our developers knowing that we've made games before so when we're Mm -hmm. giving feedback and perspectives like our developers know we've made games before and we know like how it's done and I think that kind of joint collaboration and the sort of mutual understanding that we've all made games like really really helps with that publisher developer uh, relationship so I've valued that experience like being able to kind of switch between the two and know sort of what the differences are Certainly, like as an exec producer on the internal team, you know, you're driving so much more of like the vision and the business Mm -hmm. and the game itself. And then on the sort of more publishing side, it's more of a portfolio approach. Like when I was running Riot Forge, it's a portfolio approach rather than like one individual game. So it's a very different mindset to to think about like how all these games working together to build a portfolio versus like how is this one game going to be successful? Super interesting. It's a really, uh, I never thought of it this way. It's like really a zoom out picture, you know, when you think in terms of portfolio, a single game and really going in depth of the experience and the game is kind of its own ecosystem. So that uh, also uh, for me gives me uh, another perspective to look at publishing in a different way. Yeah, I mean, I think diversity on the team is important from many different perspectives, right? And, And one of those perspectives is, internal development versus external, you know, versus Mm -hmm. publishing, whatever you want to call that. But I think those difference in perspectives is just really important to have on on the team. The same way, you know, I like to ensure that we have people that have worked on mobile and PC and console and like that breadth and diversity of experience across platforms and genres. And so thinking about it that way as well, so that when we're working with our partners, you know, we've got a lot of experience to draw on and potentially experts in the team that our developers can tap into as well, which I think is super beneficial. You know, when I was working on Riot Forge, for example, you know, we've had people that had worked on the exact same genre of game that we were building with our partners. And so they were able to sort of tap into some of that prior experience from one of the designers that we had on the team who had worked on a really specific type of genre that one of our external partners was building and so she was able to really help them based on her experience of like three to four years working on this franchise um, and giving them like some really useful perspective on an area that they didn't have as much experience in and so I think that's really uh, useful as light as well when you as a publisher can provide, you know, new thinking or perspectives to developers or help, you know, unblock them or um, help maybe think about things in a different way. That's kind of how I always think about the partnership is like, how can we amplify them and kind of help grow each other, right? Ultimately, that's kind of like the goal is grow together, get better together and help each other. So I think about that a lot as well when sort of building the team and what kind of games we're making. I really like how thoughtful you are about the approach of uh, on the publishing and partnership side. My experience has been more, you know, it's very transactional, like publishing. You know, I'm here, mm. like we're here to publish. And here you are thinking really, from my understanding, like as a team, 
Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, similar to you, I've had experiences in my early career when I was in indie development and, you know, we're working with a publisher and like mm. you say, can be can be very transactional. And and sometimes that's OK. You know, if that's the expectation that you've set as partners that, you know, it is mm-hmm. much more transactional, we're going to provide this thing and this is the game's going to go onto this platform or be distributed in this way. You know, sometimes that can work and be very beneficial if that's the type of publishing partnership the developers looking for which sometimes you are right you want something a little bit more transactional but I've experienced that too where it's like we would love a little bit more collaboration but it does end up being a little bit too transactional and so yeah just thinking about ultimately what does the developer need because I think that's the 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 ultimate question that I've always asked throughout my career when I've been working with developers like what do they need what do they need to be successful what do they need to make the best game possible because you know especially as developers we want to just focus on the game <laughs> you know I'm sure you've experienced that as well it's like when you have to think about publishing and marketing and localization and yeah. all of this stuff like that that's a lot of extra things to do you know outside of the game so partnering with someone that understands that I think can be really beneficial to get that support And um, as you're building your team as well, I was wondering, because in the profile of people you look for in your team, people who have experienced internal development, so maybe building their own game in production of, you know, super projects. And maybe when people have enough of (laughs) internal development, they want to help (laughs) at at our scale. So I wonder what kind of motivations are drawing people to your team and, and to be part of this adventure with you? I think one of the draws of working in external development publishing is being able to work on multiple games and with multiple developers at one time. I think that's really exciting. You know, I came from a world where I was at Electronic Arts for a long time working on just Need for Speed. And, you know, I love cars, I love games. (laughs) It was fantastic. But, you know, after a handful of the same game, you're kind of, you can almost do that with your eyes closed. Mm -hmm. And it becomes like very repetitive in a way you know because you are working on the same franchise again and again and again and so I think one of the exciting things for me like one of the draws where when I was like oh I'd I'd like to work in the publishing organization for external development is that ability to work across so many different games and also you know the ability to sort of build that portfolio and think about how all those games fit together to accomplish the business objectives. I think, you know, the people that I um, hired into Riot and and also Netflix, I think it's a similar perspective. You know, you do get to work on such a varied amount of things every single day. And that can become really exciting because one minute you're solving a problem on a, you know, RPG, the next minute you're solving a problem Mm -hmm. on a puzzle game. And that might be with a developer in, you know, Canada versus a developer in the UK. And so you get to experience all these different um, people and creatives and approaches. And I think that's quite unique um, and also really exciting because your day is just completely full of (laughs) so many different (laughs) So many different things. And and I personally love that. I love the like context switching and the sort of ability to be in like lots of different fun things. And so I think that's definitely one draw, especially if you've done sort of AAA franchise or game development before or been on the same game for, for a long time. I think that can definitely be a draw for a lot of people. 
Let's take a short break to hear a few words from our sponsor who are making this episode possible. In today's challenging mobile game market, the most successful games grow and retain players by continuously adding new features, metas, and live events. Game Refineries 2 lets you scale up your collection and analysis of the best practices behind the most successful games today without building out a big team to do so, so you can spend less time playing your competitors' games and more time improving your own. You already use data to optimize your UI and monetization. Now use the data-driven approach to game production, whether you are developing new games or growing existing ones. Go to info.gamerefinery.com slash riseandplay to sign up for free access or to request a demo. Or check out the link in the podcast episode notes. Now, let's get back to our conversation. And so a little step back as well, because you've worked also on other amazing companies. And I was really curious to ask about your time at Riot Games. I didn't know about Riot Forge. And you were the head of this new venture, as I understand, internal venture and publishing platform. Could you tell more about it, how it started and what was the mission? When I first started at Riot, I was on League of Legends, the MOBA, <laughs> and I was working more on the competitive side of the game. So like heading up the rank system and things like that. And there had always been some interest at Riot to do sort of more story-driven experiences. And we'd done a couple of fun things like Blitzcrank for a Roundup, and they were sort of web-based games a, a while ago. But they were super popular and it sort of got me thinking. And there was someone else, Thomas, at, at Riot, who'd also been doing some thinking in this space as well. And looking at how many fans of League of Legends there were and how many of those played the MOBA, how many of those liked competitive, you know, type gaming and how many might enjoy some other type of gaming. So the hypothesis was let's provide League of Legends games that really focus on story and immersion and being able to experience the champions in the world in like a very mm -hmm. different, more personal way, you know, because obviously the MOBA is the sort of, you know, cam different camera perspective where you see the champions in a certain way all the time. But thinking about, okay, could we do like a RPG, for example, that really allows players to like see the characters from a different perspective, see the world from a different perspective, like really be able to explore and dig in. And so one of the main sort of missions of Riot Forge was to create, you know, story driven experiences for League of Legends players and fans that didn't necessarily want to play competitive games. And so Riot Forge was Riot's third party publishing division. And so we worked with a handful of external developers to build more story driven league experiences. And one of the first games that we launched last year was Room King, a League of Legends story. And that was like a turn based RPG with Airship Syndicate. Um, and it was awesome to build that game and evolve the sort of law more in that space, like around the ruination, around Viego and who he was and sort of dig into parts of the law and the story of League that hadn't really been explored before. Mm -hmm. That was kind of like the, the mission overall to sort of build that third party publishing label division team to really focus on more story-driven experiences and sort of expand more of the League of Legends world. Sounds also super exciting. And I can understand yeah. why you are drawn like to new adventure challenges because all of that is so much to do, but it's also super exciting. There's, there's a good foundation and base and how do you expand? So Yeah, exactly. Especially with a IP like League of Legends, yeah. you know, it's, um, it's so rich and it has so much 
content and so many passionate fans there's just a lot of opportunities you know now with arcane and that's been you know hugely yes. successful and it's been awesome to see that you know win emmys and everything and again another way to sort of experience league of legends in in a different medium which i think is great and it was your first also role from internal development to external development is that correct or did you have some um, before I did a little bit of it when I was in Japan. So when I was in Japan, okay. I worked for an entertainment company called Sataya. And they were more like an entertainment company. So did more selling of like, they had a lot of stores because this was quite a long time ago. So like physical goods was, you know, the internet wasn't as prevalent as it is today. So they did games and movies and books and comics and things like that. And I was working on their sort of game initiative that they were trying to get spun up. So that definitely touched on publishing an external development not to the same extent as like Riot Forge for example or Netflix but definitely gave me a look into how that worked and got the ability to work with like some big you know first party like platform holders like Sony or big publishers like Konami and things like that so gave me sort of a look into that window I, <laughs> I guess <laughs> and then when I came back to the UK I, I went back into internal development so the Riot Forge role and heading that up was definitely kind of my first first running of a publishing sort of organization. Do you remember at the time, what was the main challenge with like creating this whole division new for uh, Riot and uh, the franchise? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the biggest challenges is always trying to define the strategy. Like I love building strategies and I love like mm -hmm. thinking about like what we're trying to accomplish. But I think that's always the the challenging part. Like sometimes you, you know, have a spark of an idea and then it's about doing the research and the validation and trying to find the data to kind of back up that hypothesis. So sometimes mm -hmm. that can be like just a challenging process to go through. And then I think one of the biggest thing is when you start building a new initiative like Riot Forge you're almost building the plane as you're flying it you know <laughs> so you're you know once the strategy is in place you're still building the team but then you're signing developers and so that can just be really challenging to make sure as the head of like the business to be continuously thinking about the short term the midterm and the long term and like actually making the space to think about okay where are we today where do we need to be heading and then what is the you know final desired outcome that we're even driving towards and like always constantly keeping those things in your brain so that you don't become like too reactive or too short-term thinking and that can be challenging when you're building everything at the same time right because building things is very short-term and you're thinking about what do I need right now but building also is part of what do I need in the future and then what does this look like in five ten years time and how do I set us up for success based on those outcomes but today and so I think it's constantly thinking about all of the short-term and long-term visions and how to accomplish those in the moment. I can see that as really one of the big challenges. It's really tricky because you don't know what you're building until you build it as you're building it. Exactly. As you mentioned. Yeah. And also learning, you know, because I think every time you work with a developer and you put, you know, a process in place or a framework in place, then it's about using that framework and you know, unlike Riot Forge, we were doing it for the very first time. And so we would, you know, create, how do we track things? How do we validate things? And so you're sort of building some of those pieces at the same time and also asking, you know, some of your partner developers to 
almost be a guinea pig <laughs> for some of those <laughs> yeah. for some of those implementations and so having you know close relationships with them and the ability to iterate and give feedback and I think that's ultimately the the most important piece of kind of running any business is that ability to iterate you know be able to have something see how it works iterate on it understand what's working and what's not working maybe even like fail and that's fine too because then you can Mm -hmm. iterate again and get to a point where you know it is then actually successful and so I, I really appreciate the ability to work at companies that allow that iteration and that process of trying something learning potentially failing using those learnings to then try something new again to get to that point of like okay now we're really successful and this is working great because I know many companies you know building new ventures and it's always about the timeline and what would you say is a good time to check in like zoom out look where at where Mm. you're going how long should you persevere in your iteration several iteration until you meet success or when you say you would say stop right because it's always stopping too early or stopping too late what would you say for you is is a good time Yeah, that's a great question. I think, well, firstly, I try and evaluate things like every quarter personally. Mm -hmm. I mean, every month I do a little bit of a check in like myself in all the roles I've been in. I just spend like a few hours at the end of every month being like, okay, where are we? What are we doing? Where do we need to go? But every quarter I do more of a, I guess, formal check in of like, where's the business at? and, And what are we like tracking towards and do we believe we're going to accomplish those things? So I think it's important to do that reflection on a regular basis. Otherwise, you can get carried away in just, you know, doing the thing. And then I think when to, you know, start or stop, that's a really interesting question because I think there's two extremes, you know. I think sometimes there can be the extreme of uh, there's a failure early on and then you're like, oh, God, should I even continue (laughs) doing this? But then there's also sunk cost fallacy on the other end, right, where you've been working on something Mm -hmm. for so long and you've invested either monetary or time or, you know, whatever the investment might be. And you're like, oh, we'll just try just try one more time, one more time. And and (laughs) you're in this kind of weird mindset of I can't give up because I've invested so much. And so they're the two extremes. So finding something, I think, in the middle is always a really challenging balance. But one of the things I think about is how are we tracking you know, how can we validate if what we're accomplishing is heading in the right direction? And iteration and failure is part of that, but you should always be sort of seeing some form of progress, right? Or at least some sort of indication of progress with those failures or being able to incorporate those learnings and then see progress. So I think that's the one thing I look at as to whether you know, we should keep going or we should stop. It's like, are we seeing incremental progress? Is this incrementally getting better every time? Even internal development, you know, I think that applies for games you're building internally. You know, when you get to a certain point in that game and you're like, is this fun? And if it's not fun, okay, let's try again. Okay, are we seeing a little bit of fun now? Oh, we are seeing that it's here, it's here, we can feel it. And then the next time, okay, it's getting better. Whereas if you do, you know, three to four play tests and nothing's changing and the game's just not fun, then it might be a time to be like, okay, we're not seeing any incremental process progress here at all. You know, maybe we should talk about whether we should carry on or not. But I think it's always really challenging, you know, especially as humans, because we get passionate about things and we're invested in things. But Mm -hmm. I always try and think about how do we 
how do we validate that incremental progress you know as a team whether you're working internally or externally there still should be some incremental progress on the game you're making or the goals you're trying to accomplish or the business you know and the direction it's heading in so i always try to kind of reflect on that that's amazing advice thanks and this is also like more building the system to support and how to evaluate and make decisions because yeah emotion gets in the way and then it's hard to see in a, quite in a blurred way yeah. where you are yeah always it's normal it is uh, always especially yeah. if it's your own idea you know i i in in you know when you're running your own studio or something like that to your point it's like If it's something really special to you or you're passionate about it, it's really hard to <laughs> reflect and kind of take a step back and say, oh, God, am I am I just in love with this thing or is it actually working? You know? Yeah. So we are reaching also the end of our conversation. But so many things we could talk about, Leanne, but for another time and <laughs> offline. On top of all the things you're doing, you are also participating in conversation in Women in Games, in Wings, that I'm also part of, giving visibility to more a diversity of founders, creators. Why is it so important for you, you know, to make that time? Yeah, I am extremely passionate about more women being in games. You know, when I joined the industry almost 20 years ago, there just wasn't many women in video games and it was very apparent. I think we've made some fantastic progress you know in the last handful of years we still have a long way to go and you know I just ultimately think about the fact that we are making games for everybody you know the mm -hmm. the whole the gaming population people that play games in the world is pretty much 50% women 50% men right the this the split is is very clear that there is a big need for games that serve the female audience and, and all other audiences and, and different perspectives and underrepresented folks. Like that's super, super important. I feel like I can help more with the female space because I can resonate with that on a personal level. And so anything that I can do to sort of help more females realize that there is always a role in games for women. There's something there and amplifying the different roles and different opportunities in career that there could be for women in games I think is really important and and helping to advocate you know and amplify what women are doing in games as well and that's why I love Wings so much because it's kind of really helping to spotlight some amazing women that are doing great things in games mm -hmm. and making great games and like giving them an opportunity to actually be successful and progress and and have the support and the guidance and just the advocacy to be honest that I think women should have and I'm so passionate about being a part of that yeah and I, I can tell and I think you're in great position as well as you get to meet especially with a name like Netflix many many developers from all around the world and I think that's a great opportunity as well Definitely. And, you know, the Netflix member base is extremely diverse and just making games that serve that diversity of members, I think, is really important. And to be able to accomplish that, we need a diverse team, not only from backgrounds, perspectives, you know, gender, just diversity mm -hmm. across the board, I think, is yeah. extremely important. Yeah. And I love that you, I think, highlight of this conversation for me today, you made really like that very strong point about diversity, like in experience perspective, like like you said, like across all yeah. the aspects and not just one dimension. And I love it. Exactly. And it's very global at the end of the day. 
Yes, definitely. <laughs> and if we want to reach a global audience, then we need to think that yeah. way. So. <laughs> So on those uh, positive, inspiring words, we are ending our conversation. Thanks so much for sharing your experience and uh, you're on an exciting journey. I'm really looking forward to seeing and discovering the awesome games that will be presented on Netflix. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this latest episode of the Rise and Play podcast. I am trying to grow a community of conscious leaders across the industry and beyond. So if you want to join this movement, please share the podcast with other conscious leaders because we have so much more we can learn from each other. Also, please don't forget to follow the show so you don't miss out on future content. Every episode is packed with actionable insights that will help you improve your leadership skills now. And if you are interested in learning more on the topics that we discussed today, you can find more insights on riseandplay.io and there you will also find my free masterclass on conscious leadership. So, have a great week and until the next time, 